Turning tonight in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And let's read beginning at verse 11. But I certify you, brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation." being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Let's stop reading there and and look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask You to bless our study of Your Word tonight. There are so many precious things here that can only be brought out and shown by Your Spirit. And we just pray that He would be our teacher uh, and our guide tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing with our studies here in the book of Galatians. And Paul talks here about his salvation in these verses. And in doing that, he presents some important things for us to consider. Things that I believe the Spirit of God would have us to notice and think about. In verse 13, Paul makes reference to his conversation That's his manner of life, his conduct, his behavior in time past in the Jews' religion. His manner of life begins in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He attended that school. And in that school, he learned to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He learned there to be a Pharisee. He was taught there according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. There Paul learned to be zealous toward God. The Lord Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. That was Paul, zealous toward God. And his zeal was the elimination of the entity that threatened the law and the traditions of the fathers, the church of Jesus Christ. So that beyond measure... He persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Look back, if you will, at Acts chapter 7 for just a minute. Acts chapter 7. 
Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. We read there, Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, And cast him, that is Stephen, out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now if you will look at chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now look over a page at chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. This is what Paul is referring to when he says there, in Galatians chapter 1, that beyond measure, beyond measure, he persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now, if you can mark your place here in Acts chapter 9, we want to go back and look at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to, we're going to be coming back to Acts chapter 9. But look at Galatians 1. And verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now it's very easy to read a verse like this 15th verse and think that Paul is a special case here in the Word of God. After all, he wrote over half. He wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. So Paul is in a special class of believers then, who God separates from the womb. It's easy to think that. That must be the unconditional election that the Calvinists talk about, separating him from his mother's womb. But that's not true. That's not true. It's wrong thinking. It's dangerous thinking. It's heretical thinking. The way God dealt with Paul is the way that he deals with every person. We want to see that tonight because I believe it's very important. The way God dealt with Paul is the way that he deals with every person who is born into this world. In verse 15, when Paul says that God separated me from my mother's womb, that's true of every person that's born. 
Turn back to Psalm 139, if you will. Psalm 139. It's a psalm that we are familiar with. It is the psalm of the miracle of the creation of children by God in the womb. And what we read here is true not just of David, not just some children, but every child that has ever been conceived. Now, with that in mind, the verse that we want to look at is verse 13. Psalm 139 and verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. The reins symbolize our our inward thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. For thou hast possessed my reins. Now notice these next words. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Never really thought about that word much before. But it's, it's... An amazing word. This word covered is word 5526 in the Hebrew dictionary of your Strong's Concordance. And it means to hedge. It means to fence about. It means to shut in. Now let me ask you something. Why do you hedge and fence about and shut something in? Is it not to separate it? I believe that what David is telling us of every human being that has ever been born or will be born is thou, God, hast covered, hast hedged, and fenced about. Thou, God, hast separated me in my mother's womb. Exactly the way he did the Apostle Paul. And it's like that because there is no respect of persons with God. No respect of persons with God. Now, let's go back to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, you can write Psalm 139 and verse 13 there, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Called me by His grace. Remember, we're thinking, we're thinking wrongly, but we're going down the road here of thinking that this verse suggests that Paul is in a special category of believers who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. That must be the irresistible grace that the Calvinists talk about. But there is no such thing. That's another lie. Just like unconditional election. Turn over a few pages to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And look at verse 11. 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared only to those who have been unconditionally elected by God and therefore cannot resist His grace. <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it? It says in plain and simple English that is easily read and easily understood. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God has separated you. He separated me and every person from our mother's womb and called us by His grace because there is no respect of persons with God. God has separated you and me and every person from our mother's womb and called us by His grace because God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has separated you and me and every person from our mother's womb and called us by His grace because He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Paul is not some special uh, case. His conversion demonstrates that. I'd like for you to, if you kept your place, if you didn't, we want to go back to Acts chapter 9. Because we're thinking about the conversion of Saul. He brought it up. We're kind of, I guess, going verse by verse to some degree through the book of Galatians. And that means that the Lord decides what we're going to be talking about. And Saul's the one who brought all these things up. It's important for us to understand his conversion. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. And as he journeyed, he's on his way to Damascus. He's got letters uh, from the high priest that if he finds any believers there, um, in the synagogues he's going to bound them, and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Now, again, we might think of this as another example of something happening to Paul that's never happened to anyone else. Well, Keep your place here and look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, notice, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face 
of Jesus Christ. Paul is describing here what happens when God reveals himself to those who are lost. To those who he has separated from their mother's womb to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. By, By those who the grace of God has appeared to all men. This is how God reveals Himself to those who are lost. And it sounds like how the Lord revealed Himself to Paul, doesn't it? Look back again at Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. For God who commanded the the, the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, of the glory, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the comparisons to Paul's conversion and our conversion, if we're saved, doesn't end there. Look at verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, Why persecutest thou me? When God commands the light to shine out of darkness, and He shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and He'll do that for every man, because there is no respect of persons with God. And when He does that, and we stop going on our journey and we stop going on our way, and we fall, on our, or we fall on the earth in our hearts, the Lord says the same thing to us that He said to Saul. In fact, we can put our names in there and hear the question to us personally and individually, why persecutest thou me? Why, me persecute God? This is why people hate the truth of the gospel. Because a question like that exposes us for who we are and what we are. We're of our father the devil. We're enemies of God. By nature we hate him. God said in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the serpent, that's you and me by nature. That's how we're born into this world. The serpent is our father. God said there is enmity, there is hatred between the seed of the serpent, you and me, and the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, what we are by nature is enmity, it's hatred, it's hostility against God. And this old nature is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. And what do we do to those we hate? What do we do to those who are our enemies, to those to whom we are hostile? We persecute them. We persecute them. That's why the Lord asked the question, Why persecutest thou me? He's bringing before Saul's mind and he's bringing before our mind 
against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Verse 5, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Notice the progression of the revelation here. There's the light from heaven that shines all around him, all around Saul, personally and individually. Then in verse 4, as Saul falls to the earth, there is the question from heaven. There's the light from heaven, there's the question from heaven. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then when Paul asked this question in verse 5, Who art thou, Lord? There's the answer from heaven. The light from heaven, the question from heaven, the answer from heaven. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Jesus is the object of our enmity and hatred and hostility. Jesus is the one we are persecuting, and yet he loves us. You ever stop and think about that? He loves us. And the demonstration of His love is that He pursues us. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, even while we were persecuting the Lord Jesus. Christ died for our sins. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a wonderful word. A wonderful word. It, it, it refers to the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies God's justice so that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God pursues us even though we kick against the pricks. And I ask you again, what do enemies do? What, what, do, um, what do we do to our enemies? What do we do to those that we hate? We persecute them. Folks, we're not good people. We're not good people. We have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And Jeremiah asks in that ninth verse of chapter 17 of Jeremiah, after he tells us about our heart, he asks this question, who can know it? And he tells us in verse 10 that the Lord knows our hearts. And the Lord who knows our deceitful and wicked heart tells us exactly what he knows about our hearts in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, that's unbridled lust, shamelessness, 
an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Yes, yes, we deserve to be asked the question, why persecutest thou me? And by name, ask that question. And have our name called twice. Just as Saul's name was called twice. So we don't miss our identification with our sin that crucified the Lord of glory. And yet the Lord pursues us. It's just the most amazing thing to think about. And how does He do it? What is His method? We see it here in verse 5. It's the same method He talks about concerning Paul. The pricks. The pricks. And what are the pricks? Well, one meaning of that word is a sting. Another meaning is an iron goad. An iron goad like you would use to urge an ox or a horse. And what are the stings and the goads? What are the pricks that the Lord uses in our life? Well, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To sting, to goad, to urge us by His reproving us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of our need for the Lord Jesus. Our need to call upon Him and be saved. And the language here, the language here is so important to notice. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But Paul did. Paul did. He made havoc of the church of God. He fought against the pricks. So do we. That word hard brings to mind something that Brother Jim said in a message some years ago. He said that you have to fight every day to keep from getting saved. You have to fight against God every day to reject His offer of salvation. I think I can see that, what Brother Jim's point was in these words. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, but we do it. How long have you been doing? How many years? But there's another word here that I'd like for us to notice. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. If you look that word up, you find it has an interesting meaning. We think about kicking. Um, I think the first time I ever got kicked was in the first grade. And the person who kicked me uh, didn't kick me with their heel. They kicked me with the front of their shoe. But if you look that word up, it means to strike with the heel. To strike with the heel. One way that we strike something with our heel is to turn our back on it. 
And while we're striking with the heel, at the same time we are digging in and setting ourselves against that which we are striking with the heel. These words, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Striking something with our heel, with our backs turned. And you know, it's one of the greatest insults that you can give someone. When someone is talking to you, when someone is reasoning with you, having a conversation with you, one of the greatest insults you can give them is to turn your back to them. When um, Mayor de Blasio was still the mayor in New York and he was on the defund the police jag, he went to a meeting of the police officers of New York and when he got up to speak, they stood up and they turned their backs to him. That thought brings to mind in the spiritual realm. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. How do we hide our face from someone? Well, one way is to turn our back to them. Which allows us, even though it's hard, to kick against the pricks. To strike with the heel and set ourselves and dig in against the Lord who loves us. But think about it. We hid our faces from Him. We turned our back toward Him. And what did the Lord Jesus do? He pursued those who persecuted Him. He pursued us not in anger, but in love. And how did He do that? Isaiah 50 and verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters. You turned your back on me. You're striking with the heel. You're kicking against the pricks. You turned your back toward me. I gave my back to the smiters for you. When you think about that, that's why it's hard to kick against the pricks. How can we reject such love? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And yet we do. And that is the measure of the depth of our hatred and rebellion against God. One other thing that the, that, that the meaning of the word kick to strike with the heel brings to mind is Psalm 41 and verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. 
we take a good deal of comfort in that verse because it's a reference to Judas the betrayer. Judas lifted up his heel against the Lord Jesus so he could kick against the pricks every day, every day for three and a half years. But it's also a reference to you and me because, you see, we're the betrayers of the Son of God. We have lifted up our heel against the Lord of glory so that we can kick against the pricks so that we can go on in our own way, set ourselves in our rebellion against God. We will not have this man to reign over us. All of these things the Lord is conveying to the Apostle Paul in these words, and He's conveying them to you and me in these words. When a light from heaven shines round about us, personally and individually, when God commands the light to shine out of darkness and He shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and we fall to the earth and the Lord calls our name and He asks us personally and individually, Why persecutest thou me? And when we ask, as Paul did, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord says the same thing to us that He said to Saul in verse 5. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Those words ought to break our hearts. They broke Saul's heart. Look at verse 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is when Saul gets saved. And what always strikes me is that he doesn't use the words of, of what we think of as the standard sinner's prayer that, that people are told to pray. And it's like that because God is not looking for a standard set of prescribed words. He's looking for an attitude of heart. He's looking for a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This is how the Apostle Paul got saved. And he is not unique. He's not some special case. It's how every person gets saved. The question tonight is, are you saved? Are you still, even though it's hard, you have to fight against God, you have to fight against His pricks every day. Are you still kicking against the pricks? Right now, right where you are, you can lay down your rebellion. You can stop fighting. You can stop kicking. You can stop kicking against the pricks. You can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, just as the Apostle Paul did. Same, same way. Same way that so many here have.
Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us tonight for a few moments to consider these things from your word. We thank you that there is no respect of persons with you, that you've separated each of us from our mother's womb. You've called us by your grace because you have not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that salvation by your grace has appeared to all men. We thank you for that message tonight. We pray that if there anyone, there's anyone here who's never believed it, they're right now, right where they are. They would believe it and trust you as their Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name.